0: This is Rev. Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Camp Brown. and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. When the young man looked the first time, all he saw was horses of flesh and blood and chariots of iron. But when he looked the second time, what he saw was horses and chariots of fire. This was the same young man, the same eyes, but this time his eyes had been opened. We read that whole story in the sixth chapter of 2 Kings. Ben-Hadad, the king of Assyria, was an enemy of Israel from the word go. He launched an invasion of Israel every chance he got. But every time he was ready to pounce down on the king of Israel and capture his army, the king of Israel would receive a word of warning and would therefore retreat to a safe place. This pattern happened so many times that Ben Hadad came to the conclusion there must be a traitor in the camp. So he called together his officers and demanded, All right which one of you is a traitor? Who has been informing the king of Israel about my plans? One of his officers replied, it's not us, sir. Elisha, the prophet, tells the king of Israel, even the words that you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. Well, when Ben-Hadad learned this, he saw that the real enemy, whom he must capture first of all, was not the king of Israel, but rather the prophet Elisha. One of his spies informed him that Elisha was staying in the town of Dothan. Ben-Hadad immediately put his army on the march for Dothan. All night long, the army marched, and the chariots of war rolled toward that town. Before sun rose the next morning, Dothan was completely surrounded by the Syrian enemy's army. Early the next morning, the servant of Elisha, probably a student in the school of the prophets taught by Elisha, we'd think of it today as a seminary student, according to the Living Bible. Anyway, this student went up on the wall of the stronghold to take a look. What he saw there completely cleared away any sleepiness or cobwebs out of his brain. The sight he saw filled him with terror. Wherever he looked, north, east, south, and west, the Syrian army was encamped. Troops, horses, and chariots were everywhere. If we can just use our imagination just a bit, we can see that the early morning rays of the sunlight just breaking over the mountains, reflected from the dashboards of the chariots and off of the shiny helmets of the soldiers. And off in the distance, this young theological student could hear the the neighing of the horses, the moving of the wheels of the iron chariots as they were getting placed into position, and the rough orders of the officers as they shouted to the men, they were going to take over the city. And those well-known words of the guitar picker, who once found himself in a little one-room church where you just learned that those boxes over on the floor beside him contained deadly rattlesnakes. Likewise, this seminary student from the Bible up on the walls of the town of Dothan that early morning probably reflected on the whole incident by saying something like that student must have said, I like to have died. It didn't take long for that prophet, the seminary student though, to see all he wanted to see. And in no time flat, he ran back to the house where Elisha was staying. After blurting out the distressing news, the young man cried out to Elisha, alas, my master, what shall we do now? Or as the King James Version says, how shall we do? Elisha answered very calmly, fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. In other words, cool it our army is bigger than theirs. Now, that young man had not one worry, but he has two worries now. His master has gone off his rocker. Elisha is talking about having a big army, but this student says to himself, a big army? I can count our army quickly. One, two, you and me. That's it. And yet Elisha says that they who are with us are more than they who are with them. Then Elisha made his prayer to God, Lord, open his eyes and let him see. And the Lord opened the eyes of that young seminary student, and he saw, and what a sight he saw. Everywhere around him on the mountain, he now saw horses of fire and chariots of fire. Surprise! The Syrian army in an answer to the prayer again of Elisha was struck blind. So Elisha went forward and met the army saying, you folks have come the wrong way. This isn't the right city. Follow me. I'll take you to the man you're looking for. And then Elisha led them to Samaria, the capital of the nation of Israel, where their eyes were open once again. If you want to see what happened there, Uh, read 2 Kings chapter 6, you see what they were fed, they were dismissed, they were sent home in humiliation to their own country, this army was. What a story. There's so many lessons we can learn from this brief story of Elisha's servant who saw the chariots of fire. Not the least lesson is that of the power, the reality of spiritual forces. We have no need today to be taught the power of physical forces. Uh, have you ever been in Myrtle Beach for Sun fun days when we had the Thunderbirds to come? That amazing Air Force group of planes flying in close formation or other service uh, groups have other uh, dem- uh, demonstration teams as well as the Thunderbirds. Or have you ever uh, seen in Florida, or maybe seen on television, the launching of a satellite or a spaceship? Wow, what power it has, shakes the earth all around. Yes, physical forces are very powerful. We recognize that fact. But spiritual forces, what about those? Well, they're on, the only forces in the world today are not just physical. Although they are real. They're sometimes visible. The Bible is what calls what they call temporal for a time. Paul said to the Corinthians, "For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal." The real powers are not the physical powers. They are the invisible powers. The greatest forces of power at work in the world are the spiritual, the moral forces. We as individuals, or as a church, or as a nation, need to have our eyes open to the presence, to the reality, the might of spiritual forces. When we look around and see so many things that would tend to cause us dismay, we could very well cry out, alas, Master, what shall we do? And yet, in spite of all this, the nation goes on, still stands, still carries the hope of millions of us in America and around the world. Don't you think God must have a purpose for us? At the end of the war between the states, Secretary of War Stanton ordered the words of Psalm 118 to be displayed from the dome of the Capitol in Washington, D.C., which was yet at that time unfinished. The words, This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. In any election year in the United States, we surely hear so much about our nation and its leaders we can take hope and courage because we believe that behind all that material power and the resources are the resources of God. Our hope as a nation is not in parties, political parties, not in legislatures, uh, but in the recognition of and obedience to the spiritual and moral laws which have guided this nation throughout its history and made it great in another crisis in the history of Israel, many years later, when another army, the army of Sennacherib from Assyria, had invaded the land, the godly king Hezekiah strengthened the defenses of the city and spoke these words of comfort to his captains, his leaders. Words we find in Second Chronicles chapter 32 verses 7 and 8. These are the words of encouragement. Hezekiah right at the people saying, be strong, take courage. Don't be intimidated by the king of Assyria and his troops. There are more on our side than on their side. He has only a bunch of mere men. We have our God to help us and to fight for us. And so must it be for us today. We need to rest ourselves on our faith and the moral spiritual resources within our nation. We can climb up to the towers of our church, whatever the denomination may be, so to speak. We can look around and we can find all about us, those forces that are drawn up against the church of the living Christ. In our day, we see the humanistic view that morality is a thing of the past. The new morality, we've been told. Well, Billy Graham said there's no new morality, it's just an old immorality brought up to date. Or we can see the relaxing of moral authority of the Bible. There are challenges to the deity of Christ. There's an invasion in many churches of ritualism and cold, empty formalism. We see in our own nation the sliding away in many pulpits of the preaching of sin and judgment, forgiveness, or God's love. All around us, we can look and find the multiplication of many sects, S-E-C-T-S, and beliefs which are not the gospel, but which have become another gospel, and therefore they're not the gospel at all. One of my seminary professors said there's a lot of isms around. They should be wasms. When we look about us and see all this confusion, even outright opposition to the church, again, we could throw up our hands and say, alas, master, what shall we do? how long can the church endure? Well, the answer is that while many churches may fall away and disintegrate, our call is to make dead sure that the church of which we are a part holds fast to the clear teachings of our Lord. And as long as we do this, we shall surely continue to feel opposition, but we shall also have our eyes open and all about us. We shall see horses and chariots of fire on our side yes, God still has 7,000 who have not bent the knee to Baal, he told Elijah. And we still have churches which proclaim, as Clarence McCartney says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and forever, supernaturally conceived and brought into this world, his divine rank and mission certified by great signs and wonders, who offered himself through the eternal spirit upon the cross as a sacrifice for our sin, who rose again from the dead and the third day in the same body in which he was suffered and showed himself alive to his disciples by many infallible signs, who ascended into heaven, who now sits on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, where he ever lives to make intercession for us, the church of the Savior who shall come again in great glory with his angels and in the clouds to overthrow every stronghold of Satan and to restore all things. Then the whole earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as waters cover the sea. And for churches which proclaim this wonderful message, we need have no fear. The horses and chariots of fire surround all these and God is on their side the gates of hell shall not prevail, the Bible says. And although we may rest assured and secure in the spiritual power of a nation or of a church, yet there's another area we need to have our eyes open to see chariots of fire all around us. And I would close with this observation. It's not always fears without that perplex us. We all have found that the greatest battlefield for the Christian is when we have those fightings within. Did you ever look at yourself and just get thoroughly disgusted with what you see? Sometimes we sing the words of the song, O Jesus, I have promised to serve thee to the end. And yet we sometimes find we can't even serve him till the end of a day. Oh, we say, if I only had the faith of some great person whom I know. Well, go back once more with me to the scripture for this in 2 Kings 6. That young man, the servant of Elisha, may well have been able to pass a test in theology. He was a seminary student, but when you compare him with Elisha, he probably couldn't even conjure up enough faith like a grain of mustard seed. Yet, when Elisha's prayer was answered, this young man's eyes were opened, and then he saw what Elisha had been seeing all the while. Does that say anything to you, to me, right now? You may not have the personality or the ability of Elisha or even Elijah. You may not have the character of Simon Peter or John the Baptizer or the Apostle Paul. Yet, when the Lord opens our eyes, we can have faith and we can see what they saw. There's a great scene in Bunyan's immortal allegory of soul's pilgrim progress. The, how, how the warfare tells how Christian and hopeful, weary with the way they were traveling, left it, went on to the bypass meadow. It was easy on their feet. But when the night came on, they found that they were lost. So falling asleep under a tree, they were seized by a giant despair, and they were thrust into the dungeon of Doubting Castle. After several days of imprisonment, they continued in prayer, Christian suddenly broke out and said to his companion, What a fool I am, thus to lie in a stinking dungeon when I may well walk at liberty. I have here a key called promise that will open any lock in Doubting Castle. Then Christian pulled out the key, stuck it into the lock, and opened the door. And so they came again to the king's highway what an amazing story from Pilgrim's Progress. Aren't we often like that? We lie around in our hopeless and doubting castles when all the while we have with us the key to open any lock. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Doesn't have to be some great faith as others may possess, but it can be simply the answer to a prayer that our eyes may be open that we can see the Lord's chariots of fire all around us. And so as we leave this story today, go from our place where we are worshiping now into the week ahead, let's join in prayer that the Lord would open our eyes to the spiritual forces all about us. They're there in our nation, whether it's America or the nation where you are, or in our churches, or in our personal lives may we run the race of life as the author of hebrew says looking unto jesus the author and the finisher of our faith yes through him we have the victory thank you lord for the victory that jesus gives to us may we participate in that victory today as we know he's right there by our side giving us spiritual eyes to see the power that is available for us spiritually. Thank you for hearing us as we pray in the name of our savior, Jesus, amen.